This is Jason T. Smith of Thrift Hunters and Thrifty Business Fame, and you're listening to my boy Josh and his podcast, Talk To Me. You hear? I'm gonna pop some tags, only got $20 in my pocket. I'm looking for a This is What is up, everybody? Welcome in to Talk To Me. This is episode 214. The guest this week is Jason T. Smith. You guys know him from Thrift Hunters, Thrifty Business, so much great stuff. The Thrifting Board. If you are into thrifting at all, you know Jason T. Smith. He is also on an upcoming uh, episode of Pawn Stars. I think two episodes of Pawn Stars, which is very cool, especially in my world. So, uh, so I went out to Vegas for my 40th birthday. Thank you to everyone out there for all the wonderful birthday wishes. And I uh, went out to Vegas, hung out with Jason. Uh, the lady and I spent a couple of nights at the MGM, and then we uh, stayed a couple of nights at Jason's house. So while staying at Jason's house, Jason and I snuck away for about an hour, did a quick podcast, and uh, and basically recapped my Vegas trip. Uh, spent a lot of time out there, got to hang out with our good friend, friend of the show, Chris Kale of Five Finger Death Punch. That's always a good time. Met him for sushi, and uh, we did some did an all-you-can-eat sushi thing, and oh my god. I literally went out to Vegas, lost all my money, gained all kinds of weight, <laughs> and now I'm back uh, broke. And so I guess it'll be a good diet, the broke diet. Uh, if you can't afford food, I guess you, uh, you'll you starve and uh, lose a few LBs. But I had a great time out there, and uh, you guys always know that this podcast is brought to you by our good friend Scott Bowling down in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, good company with bowling. Make sure you guys are checking it out on YouTube or scottgoodcompany.com. I believe his interview with Phil Dimmel just posted. Uh, interviews with Nathan Mowry, the guys in Fozzie, Stuck Mojo, Seven Dust, Corn, Nonpoint, Ricky Rackman, Matt Penfield, Eddie Trunk. Everybody in your CD collection is probably either on Good Company or will be on Good Company with Bowling. So make sure you're checking him out. Good Company with Bowling on YouTube or scottgoodcompany.com and let him know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you. So back to the Vegas trip. Jason and I talk about going to see Ka, the Cirque du Soleil show. We go in and saw Absinthe, which is a burlesque show that has to be one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. Uh, it was funny, it was raw, it was raunchy, and a uh, great time. If you guys make it out to Vegas, make sure you check that out. Uh, the lady and I went and saw Potted Potter. I believe that's what it's called. It's uh, all seven Harry Potter books, kind of a two-man show in 70 minutes. Very well put together, funny, kind of campy, you know, kid humor here and there. Uh, a lot of kids were at the show because we went to like the 2 o'clock on the Sunday show. A lot of fun out there in Vegas. Got to go see the uh, the Pawn Stars Pawn Shop. All this stuff is in the podcast. Just kind of kind of a quick recap. I literally just got back to the Talk to Me, the Palatial Talk to Me Studios, uh, about two hours ago. So, quick edit of the interview with Jason. Quick intro here to get this up for you guys tomorrow. Uh, like Jason says, his uh, his episodes of Pawn Stars should be up Monday. July 1st, so make sure and check that out. So big, huge TV star on the podcast this week. Kind of mixing it up. Jason does talk a lot about his uh, flipping CDs, flipping cassettes, uh, you know, working at Tower Records, hanging out, doing in-stores with uh, AFI, his encounters with Elton John. A lot of music talk on here, too. And if you're new to the podcast, thanks for checking it out. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that rate button, and always leave a review. And that will be much appreciated. So without any more of my ramblings, let's get into our conversation with Jason T. Smith. All right, guys, we are sitting here in Las Vegas live at the Den of Sin, the a.k.a. Jason T. Smith's house with the one and only Jason T. Smith. How you doing, Jason? Vegas, baby. What's happening? <laughs> it's always fun when, when company comes from out of town. You know, for, for instance, you. Right. You know, they're like, oh, Vegas tourist stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I just live here. It's just it's just Tuesday it's just to stuff. me. Yeah, it's just Tuesday, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the one thing that's been nice is, uh, you know, we've been getting out and getting to see some stuff. We went and saw Absinthe last night, and that had to have been one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a great show in front of Caesars in a tent. And, and what's nice about it is... It's it's a tent and it's not a big tent, so no matter where you sit, you got this great great seat, and uh, I mean the 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 acts are right in your face and they're really good. So you know it's humor, it's acrobatics, it's 
a little bit of music. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And a good uh, absinthe cocktail, which you did not like. No, well, I'm not a big cocktail guy anyway. So, so you thought you'd just jump off the deep end with an absinthe cocktail. You're like, <laughs> you know, I don't like cocktails. Let me start with the Green Fairy and see how that goes. Yeah, well, I wish I could have started with the Green Fairy, but I just got the uh, the drink and not the actual Green Fairy. <laughs> so. The one thing that was nice about it, too, was it was just so, so anti-PC. Oh, yeah. And... You know, in this culture that we're living in now, it's like to see something like that again was just so refreshing. Yeah, to see jokes that most places you wouldn't tell or couldn't tell, and yeah, you know, no, no one was offended. And everyone had a good time, and and uh, yeah, it was it was a good show. And I'm glad I'm glad you came to town because we hadn't seen it in years and years and years, and it had been so long. They actually tore down the old tent, built a new one. And this this one's actually cooler, uh, not temperature wise, but all the stuff that was in there. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have that in the first one because they thought it was only going to last six months. Right. So they built just a tent, no real decor, <laughs> and guess what? It's been like ten years. So yeah, it's a great show. And obviously, if you come to Vegas, I do recommend it. And then we also went to see the Cirque du Soleil show, the Ka, Ka show, yep. and stage wise, one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Still have no idea what the uh, actual storyline of the the events going on were, were, but you can't you can't go wrong with what we saw. Yeah, any Cirque show is good to a point. You know, they they've only had one failure in this town. They did an Elvis show, which you would think well, King of Rock, Elvis, easy money. And uh, Priscilla allowed use of photos and videos that no one had ever seen. And the problem was, it was really just an Elvis dance show. You know, in every Cirque show, even the Michael Jackson one, there are moments of. <gasps> Holy crap, I could never do that, you know? And then in the Elvis one, it was just some dancing in front of Elvis videos. And so if it was sold as an Elvis dance tribute, sure. But to sell it as a Cirque show, just didn't cut it. So, oh, they had one other failure. They, they thought it'd be a good idea to partner up with uh, Chris Angel. Yeah, that failed miserably, too. <laughs> He's one of the biggest douches in town. Yeah, I'm sure. Do you ever run into him anywhere? Al- almost fought his producer, like punch and fought. He was doing a trick at a valet stand where I parked my car, okay. or, or where technically the valet parked my car. And so I was coming to pick up my car, and the producer goes, uh, this is closed. It's a closed set. I'm like, well, you decided to do a magic trick in the middle of a valet stand, so until I get my car, I'm going to be standing here. And he goes, no, you can't be here. I go, fuck off. Go away. <laughs> I go, you, pick, you picked an open valet stand to do a magic trick in. I don't give a shit about you. Right. And uh, he kept trying to argue with me, and I'm like... Dude, I'm standing here till the car shows up. As soon as it shows up, I'm out. Right. I'm not here for anything else. I don't want to be here for 10 minutes more yes. than I actually have to be. And then one, and before that, they were at, looking for guys to do a magic trick with Chris that had beards and mustaches. And so the trick was going to end up being I was going to lose half my beard and mustache. And I thought, that might be fun. Uh, wish, wish somebody would turn their phone yeah. on. I thought it might be fun to do a trick. And I said, so what's the pay? And they're like, oh, the privilege of being on Chris's show. All right, so I'm going to cut off half my beard, half my awesome beard, for the privilege of helping out Chris Angel, the multimillionaire. Now I'll pass, thanks. Right. But a lot of people would jump at that, so. Uh, they would, but I had my own TV show, so. Right. So, you know, I'm not that desperate to be on TV to cut off half my awesome beard. Well, and that correlates to why, you know, or not why, but I guess one of the reasons Jason's been a regular on the show, and if you're new to the podcast, Jason T. Smith, Thrift Hunters, Thrifty Business, a, a plethora of other shows, and uh, upcoming Pawn Stars. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, so I used to have my own show on Spike TV, which is now the Paramount Network. It was called Thrift Hunters. It lasted two seasons, and then they moved on, and I moved on. And then uh, I started doing YouTube shows. One's called Thrifty Business, and then I host one with my mother on Sundays. It's called Selling Past Your Expiration Date, Being Thrifty Over 50, and it's for the older crowd of sellers. And we go a little bit slower to help out. Even new sellers, we just go slower on things. Right. Like, here's how to do this from turning the power on to your computer, you know. Because most, <laughs> you know, younger people, and when I say younger, I mean like under 50, you can pretty much get into it already. You don't have to start at the beginning, but we always start at the beginning. And then uh, recently, Pawn Stars kept, came, came calling, and they said, hey, you want to be on our show? I said, sure. Like with my, with my original show, I didn't go looking to be on TV. Right. I got called both times, and just out of the blue, I got a call going, Hey, you want to be on TV? Uh, how okay. did they find you, or how did they know? Well, you? we had uh, I'd, already, I'd already been doing a Facebook group, okay. so for the original show, I'd already been doing a Facebook group, and I'd been doing YouTube videos. So they were uh, the production company was looking for thrifters, and every so when they Googled, when they YouTubed, when they Facebooked, they I just kept showing up, right? And uh, me and my partner at the time, we were doing stuff together. So I was actually home for my uncle's funeral. My uncle just passed away. I was home for his funeral. 
And uh, my buddy Brian at the time said, hey, we got a call. Someone wants to put us on TV. And I just thought it was bullshit. Like, <laughs> some friend is pulling our leg. Because right. you don't just get a call, like, hey, you want to be on TV? And obviously, it was true, because we ended up on TV for two seasons. And then recently, or last year, I got a call from from the production company of Pawn Stars. said, hey, you want to be on? Uh, we want to do something a little bit different with you. I'm like, okay. Well, how did Pawn Stars know of you? So again, they went looking for a thrifter. And they just I kept showing up everywhere they looked. And uh, the, uh, they were like, and I said, you know, I had a, a show on a different network. They're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> nice. You under contract anymore? I go, oh no, that's that's long over. Okay, cool. Let's go do some stuff. So, so uh, I have uh, I filmed two so far, and uh, we're working on a couple others right now. So, so what's the day in the filming like? Like, what can you say? Well, here, here's what's nice, and and uh, not that I didn't think about this, but when when you work on someone else's show. You just show up, do your work, and you split. Right. So much easier. <laughs> you know, uh, n- not that I'm going to compare film and TV to, you know, laying brick, digging ditches, but it's not fun work. Right. And, and we had a lot of friends film with us, and they said the same thing. You know, they would film for like three, four hours. they go, this sucks. Because <laughs> it was 50 hours of filming and travel time per 18 minutes of an episode. And so when you do something, you have to do it five times. Walk out a door, walk in a door. If you say something funny and everyone laughs the first time, but someone coughed during it, you got to say it funny again. And then if someone walked through the shot, and so by the, time, the fifth time you're, you're trying to say it funny again, in your head you're like, is it still funny? Because it don't sound so funny no more. And so those are the kind of things that it just, you know, the repetition gets boring out of your mind. And it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Yeah. You know, so, but I, look, I'm not, People who do hard laborious work, I'm not comparing it all to them. But I like to be active, yeah. mind-wise, too. And so when you're just sitting around for lights to be ready and you know for the announcements over the loudspeaker to stop, it's just like boring. But yeah, so Pawn Stars, I showed up, uh, did my work, and uh, off I went. So it, it was nice. Plus, I live here, they're here. So you know, I worked for an afternoon, and uh, I came home, and it was easy peasy. Yes, and the, the other day that you know you and I went out thrifting and we stopped by the the actual Pawn Stars Pawn Shop, and uh, you know that's one of those shows. You know your show Pawn Stars, Storage Wars, Auction Hunters, uh, American Pickers, like all those shows were like that was all on my DVR. Like I watched every single show that anybody tried to do anything like that. I was watching it. So Pawn Stars obviously being one of the bigger first ones of it all, it was cool to go in and actually see the pawn shop. Really crazy how small that pawn shop is. Like it's just well. Really- see, you're thinking it's small now. So I th- I shopped there. Yeah. Well before the show, so it was dark, it was musty, and it <laughs> was a quarter of the size of what you were just in. Wow. So that shows you. And and back then it was more of a real pawn shop where they had like a, a table of CDs. And that's why I went in because I sell a lot of music online. Mm-hmm. But the reason they got the show, or at least the reason I think, they always got weird stuff. So back then, pre-show, I'm standing in there picking CDs to flip. And the phone rings, an employee answers it and goes, oh, Rick, the dad, I totally forgot this person called yesterday. They got a Heisman Trophy they want to sell us. Who has a Heisman <laughs> Trophy to sell? And I, I, that perked my ears up, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> and so they always got unique stuff, and I kind of think that's how the show ended up finding them. I don't know that for a fact. That's right. just my assumption. But, yeah, so I can't, because uh, this will be actually live before my show airs, I can't spill the beans on what I brought in, but I was a, the person that brings stuff in, but mine was a little bit different yeah. because, you know, the average person brings in one item. I'm a professional thrifter, so I brought in multiple items per episode. And you were also the expert. Right. So that's the other thing as uh, no expert needed. I am an expert already, <laughs> but I will tell you the fans of your podcast, and I don't know which episode, uh, the first one's July 1st and the second one's July 29th. I forget which one it is. Uh, but there are there are two items that everybody listens to your podcast will absolutely love. Well, I can't wait for that. That's going to be aw- yeah. When you told me you were going back on TV and you told me what it was, I was like, that's awesome. You know, I, obviously, Ponsars has been on forever and ever, but there's a reason it's been on forever and ever. And you know, people still just love watching that stuff. And I mean, it's like, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll get sucked into Antiques Roadshow. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> so so uh, so yeah, I can watch any of that stuff. But the one thing about the actual pawn shop that blew me away was just how much fan service it is like it's just they were they were uh, there was a door counter to make sure there wasn't oh, yeah. too many people in there there was a uh, basically like a velvet rope down the middle of it that you know you go in one 
go to the back of the store, come out the other side, buy your tchotchkes and your your uh, chumley pennies and chumley bobbleheads. Yeah, chumley bobbleheads, and the old man has some stuff and take a picture with the cutout cardboard of Rick and. And everyone was doing it. Yeah, I was about to do it, but you came up behind me, so I felt I wasn't going to do it then. Hey, hey, you're a tourist. You can do whatever you want. I took the photo outside, so if you check out the Instagram or the Facebook page, (laughs) you can check out me uh, being a super tourist in Vegas. And uh, the other thing you you showed me, too, is not only do they have the the pawn shop itself, but they've bought like basically the whole block. And right next to the pawn shop, it's like Rick's barbecue and pawn shops, this, and you know, there's so many little, little other shops that they're, they're just probably, you know, and, and they didn't, they didn't expand right away. Yeah. Uh, they, they did expand the business right away. They, it, like I said, it was way tiny. There's no back room. So they've made that bigger over the years, but they were hugely popular, probably bringing in good money. And then they finally bought the rest of the property, built that big building with the, the, the restaurants and the shops and stuff. And, you know, some days they'll have like food carts out there and people give them tour. I'm like, it's, it's, it's a crazy, amazing business. Like you go from just owning one of the famous pawn shops in town to being worldwide famous for doing what you do every day. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's the, that's the thing too is that's, and that's the kind of cool thing about reality TV. If you can figure out a way to monetize what you do every day already and have fun doing it. That, that's the other part too. Like you gotta, you gotta enjoy what you do. Oh yeah. Are they still like just a, a at the core still a pawn shop where you can take your PlayStation in and pawn, pawn it for thirty bucks or whatever, <laughs> you know, and hope to you get can. It out. But I, I, I would be, I would, I would think that they're kind of more picky nowadays yeah. because if you noticed, majority of the stuff in there now is like pop culture kind of oriented yeah. or almost everything is. Whereas back when I was hanging out there when it was dark, <laughs> it was here's a stack of VCRs, here's a stack of PlayStations, here's some CDs, and they did have. The autograph boxing gloves from like Tyson, and they did have probably that Heisman Trophy at some point. So, but they had the normal pawn shop stuff. And so, uh, when I walked into film, I haven't been in in a while. I'm like, man, look at all this pop culture stuff. Like, and they have it all by by style. Like, here's a Star Wars corner, yeah, here's yeah, yeah. the Warner Brothers shelves, and I'm like, oh, that's cool stuff. Yeah, they had a lot of Metallica and stuff like that on the wall there at this time. Uh, you know, the one thing I think a long time ago you had came on and you were kind of skeptical about their their business, you know, on on TV, the actual TV side of it, you know, if the the stuff was real or not. But you know, now you believe that. Yeah, the now, now that I've been there and it actually <laughs> it actually was real. I'm like, oh, cool. So yeah, that that was uh, that was refreshing and awesome. So so the stuff that you took in that they bought, they paid you like you literally walked over, yep. paid out like just a normal typical day at the pawn shop. Yep, crazy. Yeah. And uh, like I said, you, you, this will be on before I, you know I could talk about the things, but I can't talk about them until they air, obviously. Right. So we could do a follow up later on. But uh, 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 the one cool thing for me and, and what I like because I collect everything tiki and Polynesian and tiki mugs. I jam three tiki things into two episodes: a vintage tiki, <laughs> a modern tiki, and a Disney tiki. So in the tiki world, that covers everyone. <laughs> there are three kinds of people: modern, who like modern stuff, vintage stuff, and the Disney tiki side. And people that follow you that, you know, they come over from the thrifting board to check this out or whatever. I'm literally sitting in Jason's house, and I've never seen this much stuff <laughs> in my life in one person's house. But it all has a spot, you know. <laughs> when we were filming Thrift Hunters, and my uh, my producer, I told her about my house because we were trying to figure out where to do the segments where we were working. Mm-hmm. And I explained my house. And so when she showed up for the first time, she said, oh, I expected it to be more like a hoarder. Right. I'm like, yeah, I have a ton of stuff, but it's all on shelves. It's all hung on the walls. Like it's, it's in its spot. Yeah, they definitely. It, it's definitely not like a junky kind of thing. It's definitely everything has a shelf or or a, or you know cabinet or maybe a pile of stuff here and there. But for the most part, yeah, the fresh stuff that just came in, <laughs> the fresh stuff. But yeah, I think I counted between the di- uh, the de- where we're sitting, the dentist sitting in the in the dining room. There's like six thousand items or something. Jesus, you know all uh, what I'll call art on display. Like I've said before, there's absolutely no chance you can ever move. So never <laughs> because trying to box just just a corner of this house would be just a you know six or seven boxes and calculate that through the house it would it would be a nightmare. We uh, we moved we we lived in uh, set like seven five different places in seven years, and we moved had but moved professionally three times in those years because of my wife's job. And so I have, and I still have, in 2019, I still have 4,000 CDs up on my shelf, <laughs> alphabetical. I'm still a music nerd. I, you know, a lot of it's on my phone, but I still like having the physical CD on the shelf. And I had never been professionally moved before. Like, you know, 
when you're young, you move yourself, you know, you, you get your first place. So when the company paid for it, uh, my wife had to leave to go to start the new position. So I go, what do I do when the movers are here? And they're like, you just sit and they do all the work and you know, I'm like, okay. So I never thought to tell them, Hey, you know, those 4,000 CDs, well, they're in alphabetical order. So please keep them that way. So when I get to the other end, I start to unpack. It's like they took a handful of A's, a couple W's, <laughs> some Z's, three T's, and stuck them in a box and did that over and over and over. So I had to re-alphabetize 4,000 CDs. And then the second time they moved us, I told them it was alphabetical, but they started at the A's. But if you don't start from the back, oh, right. it won't stay. you got to start from the back Z's on up. And so, again, I get over, oh, and I'm like, all right. So the third time, like, just give me the boxes. <laughs> I'd rather do your work for you so I don't have to. Re-alphabetizing 4,000 CDs takes quite a while. So, yeah, so that was before we had all this. So, yeah, you're right. And moving just, No. So you've been on the before talking about, you know, when a celebrity dies and the rock stars die, get your stuff on eBay. Um, you know, now you're really getting into like the realm of, of you're doing whole seminars on flipping cassettes now, which I think is insanity. Uh, you know, what's the marketplace for cassettes right now? And I guess the nostalgia of it or whatnot. Well, thank you for that. And go to uh, www.flippingcassettes.com and you too can download the webinar. So I, I did a CD webinar last year. Uh, CDs are still huge money, and I know someone listening to this right now is going to be like bullshit to both those things. And I, I make a lot of my money, thousands of dollars a month, some of it from uh, thrift shops, but I go to music stores. Music stores who think they know what they're doing, but I know way better, and I can sell it way better. <laughs> so I'll go to the biggest record stores in the country and buy like a $20 CD, but then sell it for 100 bucks online. Right. And so... And I use a rewards credit card, so I get all my miles from shopping at the store, and then I make five times my money. And so I've been watching cassettes go crazy since uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in 2014. So Guardians comes out. If you don't know the movie, the one of the main points of the movie is he had a mixtape that his mom made him, and he listened to it on a Sony Walkman. And cassettes were just, they were done. They were done. No one cared about cassettes. And that movie comes out, and all suddenly people want cassettes. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, why are we going backwards? I don't understand. And so I didn't really think about it for a while. And then then uh, more cassettes came out. And then uh, I'm in a record store, a used record store here in Vegas, two years ago. And I see the Atomic Blonde soundtrack on cassette. And I'm like, wait, did that movie come out last year? Meaning 2017. And like, yeah, well, why is the soundtrack on cassette? Like, I had no clue. Like, my brain was hurting. I'm like, I don't understand. So I found out it was an exclusive for uh, Urban Outfitters. And it sold out like that, and people were paying 35 40 bucks for it on the second market, like secondary market, like eBay and Amazon. And it keeps going up. And so, and even new cassettes have risen. They rose 35% from 2017 to 2018, and another 29% from 2018 to 2019. And so, people are buying them left and right. And so, you can find them at garage sales, flea markets, everywhere cheap. So, if you know the right stuff to find, because it's not everything. Don't go grab your mom's old Lawrence Welk cassette and think you're going to make a mint. But there's plenty of there's plenty of things to flip, and I like to teach people how to make money out of stuff that most people would be like, no. I think cassettes could be one of those things. If you get into it and find out what you're doing, it's not hard to ship. Yep, super easy because they're all the same size. Right. What are some of the staples that you try to teach people to kind of look for starting out so you're not just overwhelmed with packaging and odd boxes and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, when people say, how do I just start selling stuff online? The, f the first thing I tell them is, if you're brand new, brand new, like you are just started your eBay ID or your Poshmark ID or whatever, whatever platform you've chosen, just grab five things around your house that you don't use anymore that you think could be worth some money. Don't grab, an, you know, you shoes you mow the lawn in that are all green. <laughs> but, but if you've got that pair of high heels in the back of the closet that you wore to one wedding and you haven't worn them since and they're a good brand, that's the kind of thing to throw up there because there's no, uh, there's no loss. You've already owned the shoes. You've worn them once. You've worn those pair of jeans and now you gain five pounds. They'll never fit again, you know, whatever. So try those things. And then once you get your feet wet and you get comfortable, go start with the things you know the most. So I know I'm a huge music nerd. So I know that. And that's where I started. It was uh, 19 years ago, uh, 19 and a half years ago at this point. And I was standing in a record store. I just got laid off of my job. And they had a table of dollar CDs. And so this is two, Mar uh, April 2000. No one was selling yet online. It was just still very new. And I'm just looking at these dollar CDs going, well, these have to be worth more than a dollar. So I cherry picked 20 things because I know music. And I took those 20 things home. I sold them all in a week. I'm like, 
hey, I like this selling stuff. <laughs> but you start with what you know. You do, you do have to expand at some point and learn from others, and that's why I have my Facebook group, The Thrifting Board. But if you know American Girl dolls, start with that. If you know metal CDs, start with that because you have that knowledge. You know what's good. You know what's rare. And then you just go on from there. But but also start with things that don't break. Don't start with anything breakable. Start right. with start with a pair of jeans. Start with a t-shirt because <laughs> you don't have to think about shipping those. If you started with like, you know, a five-tiered chandelier, you're gonna be miserable. How many platforms do you cur- do you currently sell on? So right now I'm on eBay, Amazon, Etsy, Macari, just starting Poshmark, and then I do the local apps like OfferUp, Five Mile, Let Go. And Facebook Marketplace. How do you disperse everything? What do you? What do you? Most of my music starts on Amazon, um, and if you've never sold music on Amazon, you can't just start. They have what they've gated it, but I got grandfathered in for being there so long and having so many successful thousands of sales. Um, uh, and then the majority of my other stuff goes to eBay, and then I, I start to filter some of my women's clothes to Poshmark. And Macari's coming on strong. I've just started putting stuff up on Macari. What is that? How do you spell that? M-E-R-C-A-R-I, Macari. And so it's kind of like a a fresher, younger eBay, which is – like Poshmark is mainly women's clothes, or I think all women's clothes. And then Etsy is either vintage stuff or handmade stuff. Well, Macari is just like just the new kid on the block, and they'll they'll take anything. And it's a little more simplistic to list, a little easier. The fees are a little less, so better for you, the seller. And so uh, my friends are doing kick ass on it, so I'm starting to throw some more stuff up there. So you, you shouldn't always, you should never put your eggs in one basket. If you bet all on eBay or all on Amazon, and then you do something wrong, you get kicked off the platform. Right. Your money would end immediately. So you should have your stuff in multiple places. Do you try to like the local stuff? Like you try to put the big items, something that's maybe too big, like a couch. Yeah, local <laughs> stuff, uh, definitely the big items. And, you know, since the local apps took off about five years ago in Facebook Marketplace, I throw that in there with the offer-ups. Uh, it let me buy things I would normally pass because I didn't feel like shipping them. Like, you can ship anything. You use U-Ship, use Greyhound. You can ship anything, but I just don't want to deal with it. But when I find something too good to be true and price-wise in town, I'll put it up. You know, Vegas isn't a huge city, but we're close to Phoenix and we're close to L.A. So if you got something cool enough, people will find it. Plus, now all the apps have gone to, hey, will you ship it? Because it'll show you. So when I'm here in Vegas, I'm seeing stuff in Illinois. Yeah. And the nice thing about Facebook Marketplace, I'm going to get nerd level on you. So if you're in Facebook groups that are buy-sell groups, like I'm in a bunch of Tiki Mug buy-sell groups. When you list a Tiki Mug on Facebook Marketplace just in general, it then gives the option what are these buy-sell groups that you're in? Do you want to put the listing in also? So you just quickly check them off. So say I'm in five of those, they automatically go to those five. Yeah. So I don't got to do, any, I don't got to do the work six times. Right. It's yeah, automatic. You, to, you had to put you had yeah. to each individual group. So when you're doing stuff that will go to a specific – and then I'm in like um, a ton of Las Vegas high-end buy-sell. Henderson, you know, I'm a bunch of those. So when I'm putting general stuff up, I click them all off, and then it's in front of everyone's face. And the thing, too, is is – even if, if you just put them in local buy sell groups like a tiki mug, I've noticed too on my marketplace that I'll just you might also it's like you might also like this and it'll be a tiki mug from across the country yep. that you know you might want to reach out to them and see if they'll ship it kind of thing too. Plus the other the other the, the key to that when you're on the buying end is if you're going someplace, switch your offer up in your marketplace to the city you're going to like right. a week or so in advance to start looking or I've got a great friend in Montreal who sends me all the links to the Tiki stuff, and then she picks it up, and it's always oh, so much cheaper up there. So she snags it for me and then loads up a box and sends it down to me. You got to have the network, buddy. You got <laughs> to have the network all over the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's all – you know, it's all in who you know. It's the same with the podcast. You oh, know, yeah. Same with, uh, you know, I see somebody get a guest. I'm like, where'd you get that guest? Who's who's the PR on that? Oh, I know that person. You know, that type stuff. So it's all in who you know. It's it's not what you know. It's who you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> with, with everything. Um, well, the one thing of what, I guess, here's a segue for you. Ooh. Something with uh, who you know is Sunday night, hanging out in Vegas. We get to go have dinner with one Chris Kale of Five Finger Death Punch. And uh, it was crazy being the the one guy from basically uh, Louisville, Kentucky, has to come to Nevada to introduce you guys when you guys kind of run in the same circle. So yeah, oddly enough, uh, got a couple mutual friends, but uh, Chris and I both uh, help out the local pug rescue. Right. And there have been times when my wife and I were coming to one of the pug events, and Chris was supposed to be there, and then 
he got pulled away for some five finger stuff. And then there was a time where he actually made it. And then I got pulled away to go do some thrifting speech. And also we, we should have crossed paths many years ago because uh, we both really help out a lot uh, in the rescue. It, it, it's shocking to me that people would get any breed of dog and not do any research. And then the proclivities of the dog drives them nuts. Right. Like, most pugs are heavy breathers and snorters and stuff. Mine's kind of quiet. <laughs> but people who don't, like, there's YouTube. There's Google. Like, before you get a dog, go look it up. Make sure it's going to be something you like. And so the rescue is always full of dogs. And not just the pug one, but but we both take care of the pug ones because Chris and I ha- haven't had pugs. Definitely love the pugs, man. I was, uh, I was telling you guys the other day that you know, I pulled up to a house to deliver a package, and I get out, and there's like a, scr- I thought it was like a screaming woman. <laughs> and then what it was was one of these older pugs and a group of like four other pugs came running at me and you know it was probably like the cutest attack I've ever seen. <laughs> Actually Bobby Burns at Primer fifty five had he had a pug that was just the snortinest damn dog you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, we we've had four and we we've never had a heavy snorter other than our one guy our one boy Tiki. He kind of snored while he was awake, but not not the heavy snorting. But you 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 could always find him. Yeah. Yeah, where the one I have now is super quiet. We had a girl named Roxy. She was a little black girl, and we had her for like a day, and we were looking at her sleep, and she was so tiny because she was a runt, tiny and dark and quiet. We couldn't see her her body moving, breathing at all. So we're both going, you go make sure she's alive. Uh, you no, know, you go make sure she's alive. And we just found out she's the quietest, smallest pug we'd ever seen. And so we're like, oh, phew, she's alive. Was that Uncle Buck where they put the mirror under the dog's nose? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much. We were, we were at that point because, like, man, I have never seen a dog that quiet and that still. Got a lot of uh, good stuff from Chris about the new Five Finger album. I just can't talk too much about that, but it, it was cool to kind of hear the inner workings of of a, of a huge band like that. I, I love that they're doing a duet with Clay Aiken. That's just going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, just kidding. That is not true. That is not true. I mean, they did. Um, <laughs> What was it? Who was that? The Blue on Black remake. Who was that? Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Yeah, Kenny Wayne yeah. Shepherd. No, that's good stuff, man. It was good to see him. I hadn't seen, hadn't seen him in about a year or so, and uh, getting to go out and have all you can eat sushi, man. I I got on the scale last night. And I think honestly, I think I've put on ten pounds in Vegas. It's just like all you can eat buffet, all you can eat buffet, all you can eat sushi. I'm just like, oh god. I will say, and not to like you know, oh Chris, I love you, but you know when you meet people mm-hmm. who are famous, being a singer or a bass player or I worked at Tower Records in Hollywood back in 2000, so I met every actor, director, producer. You know, you meet some of your heroes, for lack of a better term, and then you're like, the the, the old saying is, don't meet your heroes. And some of them were just horrible people. (laughs) Just horrible. And then some were so nice, it was shocking. Right. And then Chris was one of those, I was like, just what a nice dude. We were just, I mean, we had like, we had a three-hour dinner of all you could eat sushi, and just had a great time just hanging out, so... Yeah, good stuff, man. So that, that, that's nice that he wasn't, uh, not that I thought you would hang out with, <clears throat> you know, an asshole, but I've seen it. Well, you know, hang out with you. So. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's ah. true, yeah. <laughs> you know, working in Hollywood, you see it all the time, unfortunately. Got to drop a name. Give me, give me one name he ran into that you weren't happy with. Yeah, I'll give you two. All right. AFI and the other end of the spectrum, Elton John. Elton John, I thought, I thought you had a good, good experience with Elton. No, no. Was it bad? It wasn't. Specifically with me, but so back in the early 2000s, or leading up to the 2000s, this is before internet really existed in terms of downloads and streams and stuff. If a movie studio wanted to see what music they wanted to put in a movie or a TV studio, they would actually send a PA to Tower Records and tell them to go buy a bunch of music. And so Sony Pictures would have an account at Tower. So they would just get the stuff, we throw on the account, and once a month they would get a bill. Elton John was the only human... (laughs) <laughs> that wasn't a corporation that had that because Elton's a big music fan and he buys one copy for every house. At the time, you think he had like four or five or six houses. And so this, this one assistant manager was always assigned to take care of him so no one else would be, you know, would bug him or anything. And, and that, I get that. And I just happened to be walking by with a manager that's worked with him for years at this point said, hey, you know, you know, I've never bugged you, Elton. I'm getting married in two weeks. My future mother-in-law hates my guts and just a simple autograph would go a long way. And he threw... Such a hissy fit. <laughs> and no one else would have heard this. I only heard it because I'm tall and I was walking by. So it wasn't like anybody else heard that conversation. There wasn't going to be a run of people to go bug them. And I'm just like, really, you couldn't just sign one thing and say good luck with the wedding. I mean, this is the guy that helps you out every time you come in. Right. 
and, and and hey, maybe he was having a bad day. I won't cast fools. But you know, but I met uh, uh, I met uh, Rick Rubin, and he was ringing out, and I said, "Hey, Mr. Rubin, don't want to bug you, but." Your work was my childhood and how I grew up and, you know, from the Beastie Boys to Slipknot and Slayer and everything else, Dixie Chicks. And and he turned into a fanboy himself. He goes, oh, dude, let me tell you what I'm working on. And then we just stepped away from the counter and he told me all the cool projects he was working on and one that never came to fruition that I always wanted. He was doing a clown solo album that he was producing. Wow. And it never came out. Hmm. And I'm like, damn, I would have loved to have heard what Rick did with Clown. I thought, did Clown's band never come out? I know he was Clown's playing. had a few bands come yeah, out, yeah. but it was never the project him and Rick were working okay. on. And so, so that, w- that was always refreshing when people were that, you know, they weren't being a celebrity at all. They were just happy to see someone excited about music and like, oh, let me tell you what I'm working on. So cool. <laughs> I love that. I'm a big fan of AFI. So what was your AFI story? Um, so I worked at Tower. Uh, I was a night manager. And what we do is we do close Monday nights at 11.59 p.m., Reopen at twelve one a.m. because back in those days, new releases came out on Tuesday. Right. I just recently found out they come out on Fridays now. I don't pay attention to new releases <laughs> like I used to, but uh, and then almost every Monday or every other Monday, we'd have a band in signing autographs or doing an in store. And so on Mondays, I worked from four p.m. till sometimes four a.m. depending on what we, what we did. And so if I was there just to sign autographs, and you know, it's midnight, and they were like, "Where's our vegan platter?" I'm like, "Dude, ain't ain't no stores opening until midnight." Sign the autographs and let's go. And so I'm closing up and they're like, we're still talking to our fans, like all like indignant. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Go talk to them in the parking lot. Like I'm going home. I'm tired. You know, at the time I was 30. I'm like, I've been working since 4 p.m. It's 2 a.m. I'm going home. Get out. And all of your fans are 13. They need to go home and get to bed. Yeah. Go to school tomorrow. It would always be funny too. On a Monday, I'd forget I had an in-store. And I would pull in, and the in-stores wouldn't happen until midnight, and there would be people in line at 4 o'clock when i pull in. I'm like, oh, no, who's my in-store tonight? If people are in line eight hours early, it means there's got to be somebody big. And we did, like, we did Disturbed, and we had a huge Ricky Martin back in the day, and, you know, just crazy stuff. Yeah, the, the two in-stores I remember was Tal Bachman, who we, <laughs> who we talked about yesterday, oddly enough. <laughs> well, that's how I remembered who that was, because he did an in-store at Tower. And then uh, the day... The day after I started, or I'm sorry, the day before I started, I went in there to sign, fill out some paperwork or whatever. Uh, that night, June Carter Cash was doing an in-store tower. Oh, cool. So that was cool. Yeah, that'd then, be a cool. Uh, like, oh, yeah, I did some dorky in-stores, but I did some cool ones, too. Yeah, June Carter Cash, awesome. Tal Bachman, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did, we did the Disturbed one, they, and they were cool, and they uh, you know, they, they took care of their fans. Um I mean, everyone took care of their fans. I, no one was ever really douchey to the fans, so that was good. And I, I worked at record stores in Ohio. We did a Slayer in-store. I remember we did the Slayer in-store. I, I've never been a huge Slayer fan. I know it's probably blasphemous on this podcast. I'm like, I don't hate them, but it right. just just wasn't that huge of a fan. And so they did an in-store, and they were really nice guys uh, shooting the breeze with them. They were great. And then they said, you guys all want to come to the show tonight, you know, VIP, hang out backstage. I'm like, sure. So opening for them was clutch and i'm a huge clutch fan and the other opening act was a band system i never of a down. yes and so <laughs> system wanted to party with us and we were like uh who are you guys where's clutch at yeah <laughs> like damn i should have partied with system <laughs> the um when i worked at hot topic the two in stores we had one awesome band and one well let's not say the band was awesome but the the band members were awesome and then the one was the the shitty one and the good one was a uh, hey monday who had the singer is now a big popular singer now. I'm trying to think of the singer as I pull it up on my phone. Uh, what smartphones. Is her, what is her name? She's big. Alanis Morissette. Close. Cheryl Crow. Closer. Madonna. Cassidy Pope. Cassidy Pope, yep. She was in Hey Monday. They could not have been nicer. Uh, we had a we had a girl there that made cupcakes and stuff on her off time, so she would bring in bands the cupcakes or whatever, and so she brought in Hey Monday cupcakes. They were like, "Oh my god, cupcakes!" Because <laughs> they were a pop punk band, they were having the time of their life. Uh, she made Five Finger Death Punch, uh, a brass knuckle cupcake cake. Oh wow! And like they just like rolled their eyes at her. Aww. It couldn't have been any like more more dickish to them. I've said this to to Matt Snell before. I, you know, this was before Chris was in the band, but you know, they were there. We were next to a Starbucks. They were like, "Could somebody go get us some Starbucks?" I'm like, "Okay." 
And then uh, one of them had a girlfriend with them, and they were trying to shop, and we weren't necessarily open, you know. And I'm like, right. well, yeah, that was kind of like when when if I where's where's my vegan platter? I'm like, it's midnight on the Sunset Strip. <laughs> right. We're not near any food things. Right. I'm like, you know, I can understand if the coffee shop was next door, like you, go, you know, but like, where am I going to go right now? And plus, you didn't send that ahead of time. You know, it was one of those things where I'm like, ooh, can I tell you about our in-store? That was pretty awesome. Yeah. And, you know, not not typical for what your listeners, but uh, Jack Johnson. Okay. So Jack, uh, you know, he's a, couldn't be any more mellow of a singer, you know. And he had hit it big, but we didn't realize how big he had hit it. It was really early, first album, Brushfire Fairy Tales. And so I was working for Fingerprints in Long Beach. And so we got him to do an in-store. And our in-stores would hold about... 40, maybe 50 if we're pushing it. Yeah. 380 kids showed up. Wow. And we're like, whoa. So I got them in line, and we were in a building with like four other businesses. So I got them in line wrapping around the building. Now think of Slayer fans, and then think <laughs> of Jack Johnson fans. So here are 400 kids in line, and they're just quiet and respectful. And all suddenly, cops show up with the helicopter. <laughs> nice. And so I was the one working point on that show, and I'm like, so I, talk, I go, who's in charge? And the cop that's in charge comes over. I go, why y'all here? Well, we got, uh, it was 7 p.m. on a Friday. Okay, I, I point that out. We got a disturbance call. For what? Like, we haven't even had the in-store yet. Like, right. And they're like, well, all these kids are here. I'm like, so what? Like, why is the copter above me right now? They're standing in line. And he's like, well, there's trash. And I looked up and down. I go, that one Starbucks cup, I'll make sure it's gone once the line goes in. So here's how cool Jack was, though. We squeezed 100 people in, and we, we still had to shoo a few people away, and he did two sets. Nice. And he had to be at his aunt's house for Thanksgiving dinner in San Diego, which is like two hours. He stayed and did two sets and signed every single autograph and didn't leave Long Beach till like 9.30 p.m. And I'm like, man, that's that's going the extra mile for the fans. That's super awesome. Like, I, I just totally blew me away. Totally blew me away. <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, a buddy of mine, he would we would go find every band in Nashville. Like if your band came through town, it almost became a game to see if we could find them. <laughs> and that's how we met Pantera multiple times. And uh, I remember one day we were at school, and he walks up to me. He's like, "Jackal signing at Sam Goody after after school today." <laughs> he's like, "We're going." And I'm like, "I don't even like Jackal." He's like, "I don't care." So we went down there, and all I had on me was my report card. So technically, Jackal signed my report card. <laughs> Do you still have that? I don't know where it's That's at. That's pretty I, awesome. I have a box of stuff. I was talking about moving earlier. You know, I've moved a few times in the last year, and every time I move, I'm like, why do I have all this stuff? And I start opening up, and it's like random backstage passes and Hey, it's all worth money, though, so don't throw it away. If you're not going to keep it, well, it's funny. I found know, my ticket stubs time. are worth money, too. Yeah, I've actually sold some, uh, some ticket stubs not too long ago. But um, the uh, my last Pantera backstage pass, I was like, oh, I bet you this is worth something. Looked it up online. It was like six bucks. You know, some, some are more than others. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, a little tip for any of the fan, any of your fans out there that want to sell some stuff. If you happen to be one of the local crews at a concert venue, yeah. your T-shirts are worth money, you oh, know. Yeah. When, uh, people don't know when big bands come through, they have their own crew, but they need a local crew to do all the unloading and loading back up. So they get T-shirts that say "local crew," and that way people know who's in the local crews and the main crew. And some of them are boring, but some are awesome. One of Ozzy's tours, th the local crew, the back of the shirt was the uh, blueprint of the drum riser and the drum kit. Nice. And so that's that's a T-shirt that you can never buy commercially. So if you're an Ozzy fan, that's a cool sh thing to find. And uh, I sell tons of crew shirts. First time I was ever in New York, we New York City. We were in a we went New to, York City. <laughs> yeah, get a rope. But uh, we go into a boutique, you know, store that has all these old concert T-shirts. And I'm not talking like this was '98, so this was like '88, you know, T-shirts from '88 to '90. Yeah. And they were already like 250 bucks. And I'm like, for what? Like, why are these T-shirts as much? And now, you know, all the shirts that I had as a kid. Oh. They're all worth two hundred and fifty bucks a piece, if not more. And I'm just my uh, all my rat three quarter sleeve baseball <laughs> tees. I'm like, damn it, those are worth so much money now. And I remember when I when or how I got rid of all my concert shirts from my youth. I don't remember selling them. I don't remember giving them away. I don't remember throwing them away. Right, they're just they were just gone one day. You know, you're like, damn, just all holes in them and wore out. And but if you do have those holes and worn out, are still okay. <laughs> Actually, a lot of a lot of few the few things in life that 
distress bring just as good money as concert shirts and jeans. I can see that. Like if you had a distressed TV, that wouldn't bring more money. That'd bring a lot less. <laughs> yeah, TVs don't go up in value, but T-shirts do. Oh yeah. Unless you could find a cool, maybe a cool old one. I don't know. It'd have to look cool though. Maybe turn it into a fish tank. That's the thing. Those cool uh, mid-century, like 1950s, 60s tubes. Yeah, people are popping out the the TV parts and either putting the flat screen in it so it looks like it's a TV still, or making them a fish tank. Yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people do. You know, it's funny going back to you were talking about. You just found out recently that CDs come out on Friday. When I first started this podcast, like four years ago, it it came out on Tuesday because that's what that's in my head. That's when records came out. And then somewhere in the first few weeks, I was like, wait a minute, records don't come out on Tuesdays anymore? I know. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing when you worked in the biz and then you're like, oh, that changed. Right. Because <laughs> yeah, I went to so many of those awesome, like, Monday night, wait in line for the new, you know, Corn album, wait in line for the new Faith No More. Clubs, See, I don't, I don't remember ever doing that as a fan. And I started working in record stores in, like, 98. Yeah. So I don't remember doing that as a kid, but also I grew up in the country. So we didn't have like record stores. I mean, my, my road wasn't even paved. Okay, right. so so to go someplace to wait in line, it would have been like a good drive. So we just didn't do that. We were just drinking in the woods. Right, that's yeah. what everybody did. <laughs> the, um, yeah, we used to go down. I remember the night we saw Corn on their second album tour Monday night. After the show, we went over to Tower, bought the new Weezer Pinkerton album. I mean, it was it was a whole production back then. Get to do all that stuff, and now it's like. A new album is coming out. Here's four teaser singles. You know. Of oh yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how many, how much music is put out before an album does nowadays. Yeah. But I get it. It's you know it's different nowadays. So they're trying to, you know, figure out the best way to release music to get people to actually pay for it. Yeah, you think about like Metallica's Black album had five singles that came out over like a three year period. Yeah. <laughs> you know now the new Metallica album will have five singles. Within three months of the new release. <laughs> and some of those singles come out, and you're like, when's this album coming out? Wait, in seven months? Like, why is this single out right now? I, ne <laughs> I never understand when they bring them out so early. I'm like, what are you doing? Finish the album. Get it out. Yeah, it's it's, it's a mess. The whole the whole industry is a mess. It's turned on its side. You know, we were we were watching that Black Mirror episode earlier with Miley Cyrus, and, you know, they were talking, the, the whole speech she gives, the, the manager, aunt lady, gives about, we all know that the music industry is, is, is messed up, and touring is where it's at and blah 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 and they were going on about this basically about holograms and and uh being i thought the cool thing in that i don't know if you heard it but the thing she said that they could do a hologram tour in every city all at the same time yeah i, I was like wow i guess you could do that just the world tour is next tuesday and that's it i tell you we we my, i took my mom my mom's a huge elvis fan my mom's 76 so i was a couple times back in the day obviously and uh this was about 20 years ago. They did an Elvis tour yeah. where they had his original band or what was still alive, which I think most of the guys were. This was about 20 years ago. And uh, videos of Elvis singing the songs, and then the band played live. And But the way they did it was really cool. And, and that was, wasn't a hologram. It was just a screen, obviously. But that was cool because I never got to experience Elvis. Right. And my mom totally loved it. So she, she was just you know tickled to be there. And so, yeah, I, I'm ready for holograms because – there's so many bands I never got to see that I'm like, ugh. I mean, Zeppelin, of course. Right. But man, seeing uh, like Freddie Mercury and Queen at Wembley, that it, it'd be just so awesome to see the bands I never got to see it in in their prime. There's like a level of, I guess, the bands that I could have seen as a kid that I don't know if I would go see. Like a, I just don't know if there's a there's a Pantera hologram tour that I'd want to go see. But, but think about kids who get into Pantera now. They don't have any option to see them, obviously, right. for obvious reasons. And so if you get that, you know, hologram tour, you can at least experience it. And, yeah. I, and I'm cool with that. Like, I, I would much rather have the live band playing in front of me, and I go to concerts all the time. But, uh, yeah, if I could see some of the bands I never got to see. Well, that's what I was seeing. The, they just announced the Roy Orbison Buddy Holly hologram tour. Yeah. And I love Buddy Holly. I'm like, I might go see this. So I'm almost kind of being hypocritical when I'm talking shit about the Dio hologram. But I'm like, well, I never got a chance to see Buddy Holly, so I might as well go see him. You know, I like those songs, and and I'm not so attached to band members specifically. And right, and, yeah, and, and those instances, you know, correct, yeah. You know, there's no like 
wait a minute, they can't tour together because Roy Orbison and Buddy Holly hated each other. You know, <laughs> you don't get into all the politics of it. You're just like, I'd really like to see those songs live. They could do a Traveling Wilburys tour, just Jeff Lynne and then all the holograms. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, it's funny. I went to see, I saw a uh, the Pantera tribute bands a few months ago. And the roommate at the time, Eric, was like, dude, this band's awesome. I'm like, I, I just don't. I can't do it. He's like, I got free tickets. We're going. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll go just to hear those songs loud. And then I ended up having a, a great time. Like the, the guitar player pulled off the solos. The drummer was awesome. Like it, it was a fun night of music. Obviously, it wasn't Pantera, but it was those songs that everybody loved. And there was like a you know, crowd vibe. So I'm, so I'm not so against tribute bands, which is big business right now, which is crazy. Like that. I think it's crazy is like there's tribute bands to bands that are currently on tour. Like, yeah, that's a little nutty. Uh, we got a friend in town who's mainly a metal singer. His name is David Reed Watson. And he, um, when we first met him years ago, he was running two cover bands, purple, which was stone temple pilots. And Oh shit. It was Leonard Skinner band. I can't remember. Oh, sweet home Alabama. <laughs> that dude's an amazing singer because he was more Scott Wilde than Scott Wilde at the end. Right. And it was it sounded so good. The band was really good too. But man, it was vintage STP. And then he was a good frontman for for uh, Skinner. I'm like, this is so weird to have someone who can <laughs> who can you know change that much. Right. Uh, and it was it, that's fun about this town is you know you get all these tribute bands and they're just they're free usually. You go into a local casino and they got all the tribute bands playing. Yeah, the uh, uh, some buddies of mine put together a Faith No More tribute, and they and like one of the bigger clubs that. Our local band made it to, which was like a thousand seater. They came out the gate headlining it, and had a really good crowd, and they they you know great show played some deep cuts. You know you oh, that's another thing a tribute show you're probably going to get some deep cuts that you're probably not going to get if you go see the arena show. But uh, but yeah man, Faith No More tribute they had a uh, they had a, St- a Stone Temple Pilots tribute open. So basically, it's just you're getting these like five or six tribute band festivals they're packing packing these venues and and the venues that i've seen that are pulling them in they'll pull them in all the time because they'll give out the free tickets they'll get a a shitload of people in there songs that people have already heard sell the eight to ten dollar beer yep you know it's just and and that's the whole key to this town vegas uh, i belong to a service that when a concert doesn't sell out it's free tickets because they expect you to gamble they expect you to drink and every single day we could go to a B and C level show for free every day. And then the A level show up. And so we've seen Don Henley for free. And, and Mariah Carey showed up twice. Whether you like it or not, that's a $300, $400 ticket right. for free. <laughs> so, like, if you kind of like her, you're like, well, I'll go see you. Like the other night, Hootie and the Blowfish and Bare Naked Lays are on tour. And they're playing arenas, which they shouldn't have been playing arenas. But they didn't sell out the arena here. So my neighbors took their two kids. And they went and saw a free concert. Like, can't really beat that. If you like the music, you go. But uh, yeah, so yeah, they they expect you to drink and, and we gamble, so they always get their money from me anyway. Right, <laughs> they're going to get two three hundred dollars because you know, out, out of something. Now, like I said, I told you earlier, you know, every time we've went to eat, well, since we've been here, we could have bought groceries for a week back home. <laughs> it's yeah, we've well, been on the strip the whole time too, so yeah, we're gonna go grab some cocktails later. A little off strip, it won't be like you're you're not gonna need a loan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna need to sign three forms of uh, identification and be like, uh, "Can I put my house up for uh, collateral?" It's been uh, it's been fun. So, were you a big gambler before you moved here? Yeah, I mean, not to the point of having a bookie or anything, right. but I was gonna say our first time here as tourists, we came in December because no one came back then during December. And it was like right after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, there was a couple of weeks where it was really quiet. So you could get these great package deals, flight, room. So our first time here, we stayed in the Mirage. Our room looked right over the uh, volcano. So I was just like, woo, that's so cool. And we won money. So at one point, we were playing blackjack, and we were only playing five bucks a hand. We pressed it here and there, but we were up like fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500. And so we're like, this gambling shit in Vegas is easy. <laughs> and so we went shopping like we were Michael Jackson. Yeah. We were in Caesar's Palace in the forum shops, and we were in a store where we liked stuff. Like, okay, I want one of those and two of those. And the guy was just following us, grabbing stuff, because we felt like we brought the money to, to use, Yeah, we're, and we've ended up with way more of it. It's like, go buy some shit. Right. You know? <laughs> well, that's like what I, when I, because, you know, back home I play, we play cards once a month, once every other month, and the guys that I play with are super math smart. 
Like they're they they're card smart, they're math smart, and they'll play. You know, I have uh, pocket queens that that wins x amount of time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna bet this, and the pots. You got twelve dollars in the pot, so I'll call a six dollar bet, but I won't call it. Eighteen dollars, you know, just yeah, all see, the, my my brain don't work that way. <laughs> like they, that's how they play. So I was assuming I was going to sit down at a table here with guys even worse than that, like Daniel Negrano and all those guys were just going to be all around me, just eating me alive. And then I, I just continuation bet a couple of times, and like, we're, we're, I was like, why are these people folding? Like there's there's no reason for you to like if you're going to call me on that last bet, you should call me on this one too. If you even have anything, and uh, so so it was. It just, makes it a little trickier to play though when you're playing with people who are just like so like don't know what they're doing, right? Because they don't fall any pattern, right? So you can't even you, good people who who think about mathematically and who bluff from time to time. There is somewhat of a pattern. Just some rube tourist from Iowa is just like, <laughs> I'll go all in on this eight four offsuit. Like what? <laughs> right. Like you can't even. So yeah, it, it's hard to get a gauge. And then when you play at a casino, yeah. people come in and go out all the time. Right. So like you're out of money, some dude stands up and leaves, and our dude sits down. So now you're like, okay, who's the new guy? I gotta, right, gotta start paying attention to him. So it, it is, it's fun, but it's not like when you're playing normal. Well, the the only other part of it that I didn't really care too much for is normally, if you're playing with a group of friends, if you're not in the hand, even if you are in the hand, you can have an actual conversation about what do you think the Steelers are going to do this year? Like I don't fuck, you know, Ben rapes somebody. You know, you can talk all that stuff. <laughs> But like when you're there, like people are trying to get a read on you, and you're trying to get a read on them, and you don't want to talk too much. You don't want to be friendly with them, and all this other shit. So it's just, it was fun. I'm glad I did it. That was one of the things I wanted to come out here and do is like to actually sit down at a casino's hold 'em game, hold my own. I walked away up money, which that's, that's always good. And then, uh, and then you know that was one of the uh, the things from for this birthday extravaganza that I came out here for. Extravaganza! I'm gonna get you a cocktail tonight. We'll see if you can see if we can find you a cocktail you like a little better than the absinthe cocktail. <laughs> the, the main one I drink at this bar actually has absinthe in it, so I won't get you that one. <laughs> that, that's my that's my normal weekly. I have a little bit of absinthe here, a little bit of absinthe there. Right, that's always good. But but yeah, it is definitely not a taste for everybody. All right, man. Well, we're coming up on the hour, so uh, so what's up with the uh, thrifting board and the thrifty business and all all your world? Yeah. So as of this moment, the thrifting board just crossed past crossed past 55,000 members. We started less than three years ago. It's a free group. So if you want to learn anything about Thrifton or eBay or Amazon or Etsy or any of that stuff, uh, hop on. Uh, it's free, the Thrifting Board. Just find it on Facebook. What's good about that, too, is if you're new and you ask us for real question, you're going to get a for real answer. And, and most of the time, you're not going to get bullied. Yeah. Unless you're just, you know, you got to weed the, because you guys are good about weeding out the idiots. Yeah. And, you know, every once in a while, there'll be a jerk who says something, something on your post and you're new, but don't get too upset. Think about 55,000 people. Think of a stadium. You think you like every person in a stadium, a sold out stadium? And heck no. So that, so I got that as my main group. My YouTube channel is Jason T. Smith, uh, where I have my weekly shows, Thrifty Business and Selling Past Your Expiration Date, Being Thrifty Over 50. And then I teach classes around the country. And if you go over to jasonthrifts.com, you can find all my uh, good stuff there, plus my cassette webinar and my CD webinar. And if you just find me on Facebook, Jason T. Smith, I'm happy to answer any questions. So if you've got any question about thrifting, eBay, if you found a tiki mug that I might not own, I'll probably buy it straight from you. So you can make easy money. You, you, you can't believe how many people have been in a thrift store. They're like, should I buy this? It's two bucks. I'm like, yes, buy a two bucks. Let me send you 50 right now, and then you can send it to me. You don't even have to list it. <laughs> and uh, I went through the MGM sports book as we wrap this up. And the sports book has, as of today, week one, the Browns over the Titans. Hell yeah. The Browns are favored by five and a half points. What are you going to take there? Oh. Browns minus five and a half? Oh, hell yeah. Jesus. You're going down. I, I think you and I should put some money on it right now. Oh, God. All right. I'll give you the spread and everything. Right, so I get Titans plus five and a half. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that all day. I, even if it's even if the Titans lose, there's no way we lose by six points. All right. That's insane. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. All right. Deal. Word. I can't I cannot wait. This is this is the first football season I look forward to in uh <laughs> well, yeah. about forever. <laughs> but we do have the Titans do have an issue with the Browns, like beating them. Like Manziel has two wins and one of them was the Titans. So it's like it's like one of those things where, where you're like, Oh, we're gonna play the Browns, it's an easy win and then we'll just lose. But uh <laughs> 
because that's how we do. We we'll, we'll beat the Patriots and the and the Eagles, and then we'll lose to the Browns and the Bengals. So. Yep, you always lose to the bad team, but we're not a bad this year. No, and you're still gonna lose. On so pa- on paper, you're not bad. I'm gonna enjoy your twenty bucks. Thank you, sir. All right, man. See you. Bye bye. All right, huge thank you to Jason T. Smith for coming on the show. Make sure you guys are checking him out Monday night on Pawn Stars. Uh, he let me know his secret stuff of what he's going to be selling on Pawn Stars and what they bought. Uh, obviously, if you're a fan of the show, you are definitely going to be into what he sold. Uh, make sure you're checking out his show, Thrifty Business uh, Weekly, on YouTube and uh, learn all of the great things. If you want to learn how to thrift, flip some stuff, uh, you need to go and check that out. And uh, just a huge thank you to uh, Jason for having me as a guest at his house and uh, taking care of the lady when she wasn't feeling well and all that great stuff. Huge thank you once again to everyone out there that sent a nice birthday wish. And that's always appreciated. 40 is, uh, 40's been good so far. So let's see, uh, see how the rest of this year goes. And so for the uh, Talk To Me podcast, I am Joshua Toomey, and I will talk to you guys next Thursday.